Baseball 365 Podcast. And here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Hey, what's up, everybody? Justin Hughes here. I am getting my voice back under me after my cold last week. Hopefully, I'm sounding a little better. And Andrew's here with me. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Ready to get a little deeper into these pitchers here. Yeah. But before we go into that, I hear that your Roto Masters 3 draft is finally done. Yep. 22 days. Whew. It was, uh, 22 days. It was a marathon. And with it being a 20-teamer, 50 roster spots, that means 1,000 players went. Yeah, I got to say, I've never been in a, any sort of draft ever where a thousand players were drafted. I think my most ever is 750. So I thought it'd be fun to actually hear about who these final picks were in this draft, given you're in a spot in this draft where I've never been before. Do you have the draft in front of you by any chance? Yeah, I've got the last. I've got it pulled up here. Yeah, the the board. Okay, why don't you read off the... Last 15 (laughs) players taken. Because I want to know how many of them I even know who they are. Uh, Okay. Let me just see here. The last. How about I do the last 10? Is that cool? Sure. That's fine. Roberto Ramos. Zero. Gilberto Celestino. Heard of him. One. Jordy Mercer. Two. Eric Fetty. Three. Adam Engel. Four. Sam Carlson. Four and a half. <laughs> Zach Granite. That was my pick. Yep. I remember your love for that guy. A couple, about yeah. Was that last year or two years ago? That, that was, was two years uh, ago. Yeah, I think it was at least <laughs> two. Yeah. <laughs> Melky Cabrera. Oh, my gosh. Nick Martini and Juan P.A. That's okay. Last, so that's about the I, last ten. Yeah, I, I think that means I knew about five or six of those names. Nick Par- Martini, Juan Pa, or what did, did you say? Juan Pa, or was that the? Yeah, yeah, Juan Pa. Yeah, pirate. That is not the Cubs prospect from the mid two thousands. Correct. <laughs> no, it's a young Pirates prospect. I had no idea who that guy was. I actually talked with the guy who took him today, and he was you know, thanking me for his help with the draft. And he mentioned one of his favorite picks was his last pick and one PA. And I'm like, yeah, I, I didn't respond, but I'm sitting there thinking, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> it was fun. It was a uh, long draft. Glad. I'm just glad we started it when we did. I didn't quite realize it would take 22 days. I'll be honest. So it just was, it was long, but it was a lot of fun. I thought, I thought everybody did pretty good. We'll, we'll probably have an episode where we talk a little bit about our startup drafts. Yeah, that's our hope. Our hope is to get the pitchers done this week. And that way we've got a week next week where we can have a little bit of wiggle room before we get to the first week of the season where we could possibly talk about our dynasty startups. We did. Maybe we'll even have our first guest on the show next week. All right. The last thing I want to bring up before we get into pitchers is that we are on iTunes. And if you could come and give us a review We are doing a drawing for anybody that writes a review for us between now and opening day. You'll get your name put into the drawing, and we're going to send somebody a Baseball 365 t-shirt. All right, let's get started on the pitchers. All right, well, we're going to get started at 21. We're going to talk for 
maybe sometime in the hour mark here. I think our goal is to try to get to 45 if we can, which will be the base in a 15 team league. That would be the top 45 is your starting pitcher one, two, and three. We'll just see if we can get through it. And number 21 is Jack Flaherty with the Cardinals. His overall draft position is at 65.92. So we're talking the middle of the fifth round. He had an incredibly impressive rookie year last year in 151 innings. His strikeouts per nine innings was almost 11. He had a 3.34 ERA that was about right with his 3.5 XFIP. This guy looks like a legit top 30 pitcher who has the potential to be even higher. Yeah, I like Flaherty quite a bit. Last year, I was in on him, and he definitely was worth it for you know what you invested last year. Obviously, this year, you're investing a little bit more, but I still think this is a pretty fair price for the most part. I think he has ace upside or, you know, at least low-end ace upside for sure. So, yeah, I don't have a problem with him at 21. He's young. He's really young. He's at, he's 23, one of the younger guys all the way down this list, really. But, yeah, he's he's really good. I like him a lot. You know, as he was coming up through the Cardinals, being a Cardinal fan, I've been excited about him, but I never really thought he was as good this good. To where uh, it's been a pleasant surprise seeing this guy come up, and especially as Carlos Martinez's shoulders looking like a mess now, it looks like he can be the guy to hopefully step into that role. Especially with Alex Reyes also on the way up, and we'll talk about him as we get further down the line, either this episode or next. But Flaherty looks like the guy who I have the most hope into right now, just because he showed real well last year and. He doesn't really seem to have the red flags that a, a couple of the other Cardinal pitchers do right now. His numbers are pretty much in line with, like his projections for this year, pretty much in line with what he did last year for the most part. Yeah, there's not anything that really jumps out out at me that too much. I mean, Babbitt was a little low, but it's kind of nitpicking, really. I mean, his K rate's really good. His yeah, walk rate does seem a bit stuck. high. Yeah, yeah, maybe a, maybe a tad, but I mean, considering how young he is and what he's been able to do, I don't know. I, I think he's going to be all right. I don't really have too many reservations with him. Number 22, we have Jose Barrios at 73.86. That's going right there at the end of the fifth round. Barrios picked up right where he left off in 2017, and while his stats looked close to the same, it seemed like his skills ticked up a bit. His K rate was almost a full strikeout better per nine. His walk rate was down a bit. While his ERA was close to the same, his X flip was much better. It was 4.51 in 2017, and it was all the way down to 3.89 last year. You know, at first I was discouraged thinking about Barrios and his stats, but as I did a little more digging, I felt at least a little better about what he did last year and Gave me a little more hope that maybe he can improve on those numbers this year. Yeah, I think I, uh, I think I like Flaherty a little bit more. You probably could count on Barrios maybe for a few more innings. He did tick up his swinging strike rate last year, which which is good. But yeah, overall he's he's kind of about where I guess I would have him. I would maybe have him even a little bit lower. 
I don't think he has a lot of upside, I guess, is part of the reason in comparison, obviously, to where he's being drafted, which is 22nd starter off the board. It's pretty good, obviously. You know, solid SP2, which I pretty much think that's what he is, solid to low-end SP2. So he's, for the most part, fine here. It's not a guy that I've been getting, but uh, he's all right. He's young, and he could always get a little bit better, too. You know, you said I'm curious, and this might be somebody we circle back to here in a bit, because when I look at the guys below him, this is right after him is where I start seeing a bunch of question marks and guys who I don't feel quite as comfortable with. So I'm curious to know, and we'll we'll circle back to that. I'm curious to know who you might have above him there. Number 23 is a guy who I am definitely worried about, Madison Bumgarner. Big-time name, but the skill set didn't seem to match it. He's going at 81, which is the middle of the sixth round. Skill set sure seems like it's on a decline. Two years ago, when he had that, he was coming off of a K per nine that was near 10. But then in 2017, he had that dirt bike accident and hurt his shoulder and wasn't back till August. And he didn't really seem like he was the same down the stretch. About a year ago right now, I remember being real skeptical about his ADP. I think he was going right there at that 2-3 wheel. But on the same part, I still thought that there I could be wrong because it was a small sample size down the stretch coming back, and maybe he could rebound. But last year, it was worse. His strikeouts per nine fell all the way to 7.5 per nine, and his walks were a career-high 3 per nine, which isn't bad, but it's still quite a bit worse than what he was before. So if you look at his ERA and you think this guy had a low three ERA, the problem was the drop in skill set around him, you could also say he was incredibly lucky. I mean, his ex-FIP last year was 4.32. That screams to me, buyer beware. Where are you at on him? Uh, I feel like it's he's a popular bus candidate. It just seems like everybody's kind of writing him off in a way. You know, I, I would even venture to guess that he's going to go in your typical draft, maybe even a little bit lower than this at this point. I just feel like he's kind of sliding, whereas there's other guys that are kind of moving up in this range. And I don't love him. He's He is in a, a bit of a decline lately. The the K percentage is way down. The, you know, swinging strike rate's way down. There's a lot of red flags. I will say with Mad Bum, there's something that tells me, though, that this guy, that he's going to be better than people are giving him credit. I feel like everybody's writing him off, and there's a lot of reasons to do it. There is. And I definitely have those questions in the back of my mind, too. But I really wouldn't be shocked if it's midseason and it's like Madison Baumgartner's still really good. You know, like it just... I don't know. I, I think it's kind of a mistake to write him off, even though a lot of the numbers do suggest doing it because he's he's in a bit of a free fall. And he has been around for a while now. He has almost a full decade of pitching under him, too, to where he has a lot of miles on that arm. From 2011 to 2016, he threw over 200 innings every season and hasn't been throwing that the last couple of years because of injury, but yeah, I'm personally pretty worried about him. But the thing he has going for him, unless he gets traded during the season, which is possible, he pitches in a great park. 
And that should help him in terms of what, you know, a lot of guys, if they have a four and a half XFIP, it's likely they'll actually pitch to that. But pitching in San Francisco, that is going to help you pitch better than maybe what the underlying stats show. Yeah, and he'll get, you know, he's going to get the innings and stuff, obviously, as long as he's healthy. But it's not like they're saving him or holding him back for anything like some of these younger guys that they might be doing that with, that, you know, other teams might be doing that with. They're not going to, he's going to get the innings. He'll be out there. And it's just a matter of how much the skills are actually in a free fall. Like I said, they definitely do kind of seem like they are, but. It just it wouldn't surprise me if he surprises people and is better than people expect because most people are it's like a trendy thing to think Madison Bumgarner is going to be a bust right now. It's really really trendy. Everybody thinks that. It's going to be fascinating to watch him this year because this is the last year of his contract with the Giants. The guy's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. He's got every, all the motivation to have a great season right now. Because he needs to with the market. Because there is a buyer beware. And in this market as is, it could be a really interesting offseason for him if he pitches similar to how, if he has another year just like he did this year. Yeah, for sure. Number 24 is German Marquez with the Rockies. He's going to 82. So he's right there with Madison Bumgarner. His ADP is basically one pick later. Talk about a guy who took a huge leap last year. He had a 3.77 ERA. Whenever you factor in that half of his games are in cores, that's pretty fantastic. 14 wins and 230 strikeouts. If he was pitching anywhere but Colorado, you'd be saying this guy pitched at ace level last year. And he did pitch at an ace level. He just had to pitch half his games in Colorado. Those stats alone should have him higher than this. But because he pitches in Colorado, that's going to have people worried. Let me ask you this, Andrew. In the middle of the sixth round, you're picking. You're wanting to take a pitcher, and Marquez is sitting there. Do you have the guts to take him? No. My short, In short, my answer is no, I don't. Um, I will say this. I've warmed up to it a little more than I was early in the offseason. The, the first draft that I saw – it was, you know, it was right after the World Series. I want to say it was, you know, November 1st or right around there. It actually might have been right after the regular season in October. I can't remember. But whenever NFBC did their first draft, October, November, somewhere in there, he went in the fourth round. Oh. And I remember being like, what is going on? Like, just, oh, my God. I was floored. It was just total shock, you know. Because you hadn't seen anyone rank. No, you're, you know, you're not really at that time. No one has rankings out. And you've never seen Herman Marquez, let alone any Colorado pitcher ever, pretty much, go in that spot. So I was just completely floored. And, you know, you dig into the numbers a little bit more as the offseason goes on. And now he's going in the sixth round, which is a big difference from the fourth. When you're, you know, you're that high up in the draft. I don't know. I, I don't really think it's for me because when in doubt, I'm just going to fade the Rockies pitcher. And if you want him and you want to deal with that, deal with it. I just am not going to probably deal with it. 
But I will say that if you look at some of these numbers, like his K-rate and his XFIP and some of this stuff, he is in line with plenty of the aces. So you you could argue that at 24 among pitchers, there is room to outproduce that. I mean, you could argue it. And I am to the point where I'm willing to listen in on that, I guess. But, yeah, if it comes to me in a draft, I'm just probably not doing it. But it's just a personal thing. It's like how many how many times have and I, I know they're not the same level of pitcher now, but like John Gray, it's like how many times people that like Marquez, I know some of them have liked Gray, and just like how many times do we have to do this? It's like I I know that Marquez d- did things last year that Gray never did, but I don't know, man. It's like if if this guy is going to do what every Rockies pitcher ever has not done, then so be it, but don't you like kind of have to bet against that? That's just kind of where I stand on it. Yeah, I don't recall one single instance since I started playing fantasy baseball where a Colorado Rocky pitcher came out and had a dominant season and came out to have another one the next year. Right. I, and there have been some good ones. Ubaldo Jimenez, when right. he was there with that amazing year, he looked like he was going to be an ace. Yep. And it was an absolute disaster the next year. Yeah, and I'm not and I'm not comparing Marquez and Gray in any sense other than the fact that they both pitch for the Rockies. I'm just saying that there's been people that have been waiting on him too and it's like Colorado just blows him up, you know? And I know that Marquez was fantastic last year. I get all that, but man, to bet on it happening again, it's it's tough, but like I said, there is a little bit of room for regression in his numbers from last year to still be okay at this price. And I, I understand that side of it too. So he was probably like a month or two ago, like my least favorite pitcher value. Like I would have been on here losing my mind about it. And now I'm not really doing that. I'm just probably not taking him, but it's not as bad as I, as I thought it was before, I guess you could say. Yeah. And the thing with Marquez is, if he could even come close to showing those same skills and being the pitcher he was last year, this is a great value. I do think they have a little bit of regression baked in, baked in just because of where he pitches. But there, I, I still believe there's incredible upside here. There, the risk is just scary. And I, I'm with you. I don't think I have the guts to take him here either. It doesn't make me comfortable taking a Rockies pitcher this early. I, I can't do it. Yeah. Moving on, we got Mike Fultonevich at 25. He's going at 89.6. So we're talking right there at the 6-7 wheel in a 15-team draft. And it seemed like it finally came together for Fulty last year, 183 innings and 200 strikeouts. He had a lot of walk issues in the minors, and some evaluators were thinking this guy was destined for the bullpen. And it seemed like he got things going right at the right time because uh, last year his walk rate dropped again, and it was all the way down to the low threes, 3.3 per nine innings. His XFIP did support these improvements with it being at 3.77, but on the same note, that low two or that 2.85 ERA he had, that was still almost a full run different than the XFIP. Uh, as for Fulty, I 
think it's fine where he's at. Don't really have an issue with it. Really good season. He's he's come a long way, like you like you mentioned. I kind of thought for a while this guy was destined for the bullpen. And definitely not that at this point. He was a little bit lucky, but not so much that I think that it's time to like throw up a bunch of red flags and everything like that. I mean, there was a little bit in there, but he's pretty good. I 25th starter off the board. Yeah, I don't really have a problem with it. I, I think it may be a touch high, but not much. It, it's like sometimes with these guys I'm looking, it's like, yeah, he's a little bit high. But then you look at the guys below him and I'm like, I don't know if I like them there either. So. There's a few I like a little farther down. I feel like these guys tonight, 21 down to like 40, 45, th- these guys are all really interchangeable to me. I know there's a wide, there's a pretty wide range. Flaherty's at 21 and he's going 65 overall. And if you go down to like 40, it's like 156 overall. So you're talking about like 90 picks. But I feel like a lot of these pitchers, you can kind of just flip-flop the order however you want. and I think Fulty's on the higher end of it for sure. I think he's somewhere in this range. I don't have an issue with it. Good team, NL. I like that. And, yeah, he's locked into a rotation spot for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, he's fine. Yeah, I think you're right uh, with a few things there. With that 2.85 ERA, the big thing I'm saying is, just don't go into this year thinking he's turned the corner to the point that this guy's going to be a three ERA pitcher. Go in like myself personally, if I was taking faulty, I'm hoping for and planning for an ERA that'd be close to four. And I, I funny, I hadn't looked down at the steamer projection. Steamer hasn't projected for a 4.02 ERA. And that's what I would be doing. I would project four and hope for capabilities of higher because he could go out there and pitch to a better ERA than that, but it it's just, you can't project it. I wouldn't go in expecting it, I should say. But despite that, he's going to have great K ratios. And he pitches for a really good Braves team that should get him wins. Yeah, he was 12th in K percentage among starters. So, yeah, that's really good. Walks are a little bit high, but... Yeah, I, I think the 402 that they've got him projected for on ERAs is a little bit high. I I would project him for lower than that. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. It just jumped out as a little high to me, 402. I think if I was projecting, I'd project like 375, 370, somewhere in there. Yeah, that's fair. I already said I'd, I'd be closer to the four just in case that walk rate this is – Hit him hitting the ceiling and it regresses a little bit, but yeah, we'll see. I actually, yeah, I actually think I'd even have it lower than that a little bit, three six maybe. I, I definitely have it under four, definitely. Hmm. You know, the fantasy focus had their board bets, and Tim and Rich have their steak and liquor bets. This one uh, would be one where it'd almost be a fun bet to say three point eight, and I take the over and you take the under, and we just kind of split right there in the middle. You want to do it? Yeah, why not? We haven't done a bet yet, and we'll just have to, we're gonna have to figure out a name for it. I don't feel that. I don't feel great about it, but I'll do it. Okay, so there we go. We'll have our first bet of the season. Yeah, we'll figure out what we call them. I'll take 
under what are we going to mark it at? Three eight. Three point eight. Yep. So three eight's a push. Three eight's a push. If it's exactly three eight. All right, I'll take. Yeah, I'll take under three eight ERA. Okay, well, we have our first bet. <laughs> and you know, I'm going to try getting up to Chicago this year to go see a game. Well, uh, we won't have our be able to take that bet this year, but maybe I'll be able to get up to one next year too, and you can buy me a hot dog. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, we'll. Or we'll I buy you we'll one. Figure, we'll figure something out. Yeah. All right, we'll move on to 26 here with Zach Wheeler. He's going at 92, so a couple picks after Fultonevich there. Since 2014, Wheeler had only thrown 86 innings in the major league, had quite a few injuries, had Tommy John in there. He was a reserve round pick last year, or he may have even been going undrafted. I haven't looked, but I know that he was not being, he was not going that early in drafts. And it was a slow start for him last year. He had a four and a half ERA in the first half, and then he exploded in the second half, allowing only 14 runs in 75 innings, which translates to a 1.68 ERA. He was just under a strikeout per inning in that second half. Now the question is, are you buying that second half enough to draft Wheeler here in the seventh round, given he was going undrafted in a lot of drafts last year? Yeah, this one, this one's kind of tough for me. I, I've always, um, I always kind of liked Wheeler, but obviously he's never had this type of price attached to him. The one thing that I will say for him is I believe he had the, I'm looking now, I believe he had the lowest hard hit rate of any qualified starter in the majors last year, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Lower than Nola, DeGrom. I've even got his baseball savant page pulled up. And yeah, it has him down like for 97th percentile hard hit percentage and exit velocity. So really nice combination there. The, the, the reason this feels expensive is just all the health issues that he's had. I, I don't really know if it's not so much that I'm hating on the skills, but the health is kind of a pretty big red flag. And a lot of times I don't care about that, but you know, he may be past it now. We'll just have to wait and see, but it's definitely at the point now where you're not getting him like you were before. It's not like he's a bargain now. I guess how much, depending on how much you like him, you could consider him a little bit of a bargain, but it's not like you're taking him as the 60th pitcher off the board or anything like you could in the past. It's, it's SP2 territory, you know? So, I no, in short, I don't feel comfortable with it, to be honest, but... It doesn't mean that he can't pitch a full season and be productive. You know, before all the injuries, I owned him quite a few times during that 2013 and 2014 seasons. I had shares of him. And the thing I remember about him was his control, even through the minor leagues, was still, it was something he struggled with. In 2014, he had a walk rate at 3.8 per nine. 2013 and 100 innings his rookie year it was over four and it was 2.7 last year and i just don't know where that came from the guy doesn't pitch for three seasons and all of a sudden now he's found control and who knows maybe he, this, it's legit but i i do struggle 
banking on health plus knowing that, yeah, this control thing's behind him and he's going to be a completely different pitcher than he was before the injury in a good way. It just feels like too many risk factors to feel comfortable taking him here for me. Yeah, I don't blame you. It is it is a positive with him being in the NL and being in a pitcher's park. I kind of like that combination. I've always liked Dodgers pitchers, for example, for that reason, you know, plus they're a good team. But uh yeah, I I totally understand it. It's definitely uh a risk. There, I I feel like sometimes these with when you buy into these short samples like this at such a high price, it it can be risky. I just don't know if if I'm going to do it, you know, like I know I like Bueller, obviously, like we mentioned on the last podcast, and people would maybe say the same thing about about that. But I guess if I'm going to do it, it's just Zach Wheeler's probably not the one I'm going to do it on, you know. I think that this is like pushing the limit of what his upside is. So. Agreed. All right, 27's Miles Mikolas with the Cardinals. He's going at 97 overall, so we're to the middle of the seventh round. Had a great first season last year after being in Japan the last few seasons. 18 wins and a 2.83 ERA. Those are incredible numbers. And that earned him a four-year, $68 million contract extension with the Cardinals in the last month. While Mikolas only struck out six and a half batters per nine, he also only walked 1.3 per nine and had a 49% ground ball rate. Andrew, you mentioned on the last podcast being a strikeout whore. Does that mean you're not taking Mikolas here? Probably not. No, there's there's guys in this range I would just rather go with to get more Ks. Uh, I will say this. He had the lowest walk percentage of anyone among starters, qualified starters. So I think he's going to be like a steady, solid guy, but I think that where he's at here is again kind of pushing the limit of where he can finish he could probably finish a little bit higher than this but when you don't get the strikeouts I just feel like it it really caps your ceiling it does I mean it just it really caps it and he doesn't get them I mean he was 51st out of 57 qualified starters in in K rate I mean it's bad but he was below Jose Urania and Gosman and Arietta, who's declining, and Tanner Roark, and you know, it's just I know that's not what that's not all that it's about. And he does keep the ball on the ground, which is great because if he didn't, he'd probably be getting lit up like a Christmas tree. You know, he'd be, just, in, he'd be in the minors. He would yeah, never made yeah. it to the majors. Yeah, right. So that is a positive, and I don't want to just throw that to the side, you know, but. I, I just think that there's there's other guys that I think have higher ceilings and comparable floors because of the higher strikeouts that I would just rather take. You know, a lot of times when I see Nicholas go, it's it's not like I think it's horrible. It's just it's just not for me usually. I will admit, first and foremost, I should have said this at the beginning. I was way wrong on him last year, so. I'll I'll just get that out of the way. I definitely was not in on him, and he was really good. So I'll admit that for sure. He was definitely a bargain for any of those guys who invested in him last year. No doubt. And I was just sitting here thinking of a comp with drafting a guy like this, 
especially early in a draft, it almost feels like drafting a pitcher early in a draft who does not strike batters out. It's kind of like punting a category. And I don't mean like drafting him as punting, but it's like going into a draft. If you decide you're going to punt steals, you're putting so much pressure on all the other categories because you have to be at the top at just about everything else. If you're going to punt a category or it won't work, it's kind of like Nicholas here in terms of as a fantasy player, he has to get a lot of wins, have a good ERA and whip, or he's not going to have value. Yeah, no, I know. I, I feel like, I think the, a lot of the reason too, you know, and a lot of people are like, oh, it's easy to love strikeouts. And I mean, I, I feel like I specifically love them because I always think of situations like second and third, one out, you need to miss a bat. You know, stuff like that. And when you have a guy that can miss bats and strike people out, they can get out of jams easier, I feel like. You might get into a jam and then you just bounce right out of it. Or you at least have the potential to. But if I'm sitting there, like I'll admit, and we'll get to him at some point here, but Kyle Hendricks, he's probably not too far down the list. I haven't even looked. I've always liked Hendricks. He's like one of the Cubs I really am into and I like. But he's obviously kind of more of a pitch to contact guy, not a big strikeout guy. And I always kind of feel like when he's in one of those jams that he's going to allow contact to, you know, either sacrifice the runner home or whatever. And when you can get out of that by missing a bat and striking a guy out, it's huge because then you're in a situation where you can get out of the inning and it just, you know, all that over the course of a season those amount of opportunities and instances all add up and every one of them counts, obviously. So I just like the guys that get the swing and miss more typically. And for where he's going, it's just, I don't know. Nicholas just, it just ain't for me. You know, it's just one of those things he's going in the top 30 and he just doesn't do that enough. But like I said, he does keep the ball on the ground. You know, most of these guys I'm seeing right after him are guys I would definitely take over Mikolas. And I could see him ha- going out there and having another solid year for the Cardinals. I'm perfectly fine ha- seeing him pitch for my team. I think he's a solid pitcher. I just don't, as a fantasy pitcher, I don't really want to invest right here. David Price is next up at tw- um, 99 overall. So right there with Mikolas, just a couple picks later. And Price had himself a nice rebound season after an injury-plagued 2017. The thing on him last year was he pitched great against everybody but the Yankees. And I went and did some digging, and I and I went and found an article from September 20th last year, and it showed that Price at that time was 15-4 and with a 2.8 ERA and 25 starts against everyone but the Yankees. And in his four starts against the Yankees, he was 0-2 with a 10 ERA. It is a small sample, but... Andrew, where are you at with Price if you own him? If you see him starting against the Yankees, let's say in early April, if you have him, for starters, are you going to roll him out there? And then my second question, you know, let you answer both these together here. Do you feel comfortable taking him around this point at pick 100? Um, as far as facing the Yankees, I don't know. It probably just depends on my team and my matchups for that week. I will say I've always been a big David Price fan. I just I just like the guy. I'm glad he bounced back, looked good. 
you know, he, he does have his struggles with the Yankees. So if there was a situation where you could sit him, I guess sit him, but I don't think it's the end of the world. If you have to start him, if, if it's, or if it's early in the year and you do it and he gets blown up, maybe just the rest of the year, if you try and avoid it. But, uh, but yeah, as far as it pick a hundred, I'm good with it. Yeah. I, there's a lot of track record here of a really good pitcher. You know, he's been a little wobbly the last couple, two to three years, but not, not bad, you know, and he got kind of back in the flow of things last year. So yeah, I, I think this is a pretty good spot. I, I don't own him this year anywhere. Kind of wish I had a share. Cause like I said, I I've always liked him. He's been one of my guys for a long time. I loved his ADP last year. I think he was 30 or 40 picks later than this. Didn't get a share. And I love him this year at 100, and I don't have a share. <laughs> so I can't seem to get get him on one of my teams. But, again, the second year in a row, I really like his price. Price is price. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Some, some might even say that price is right. The price is right. It's either right or it's wrong, so. <laughs> yeah, like Adam Sandler and the price is wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Number 29, Luis Castillo. He's got a so he drops down here at 113 in terms of he's about a full round after David Price. He was a popular name going into drafts last year, and his first half was an absolute disaster for him and his fantasy owners. In 130 innings in the first half. Castillo was getting lit up for a five and a half ERA. The biggest source of his problems was the home run with 19 home runs being allowed in those 103 innings. But things did get better for him in the second half. And I mean a lot better. He had a two, four ERA. His home run total was down to only nine in those 66 innings and his walks per nine was down under two. He was pitching at an elite level. It's crazy to me with all that. His ADP is actually higher than it was a year ago. Yeah, I think uh, I think some of that has to do with the way that he ended the season, just coming on strong at the end. Because last year he was a really really popular breakout candidate, and I remember thinking going into last year that I hated. I hated the cost. I just didn't like it. There wasn't enough track record of a guy. I mean, he had thrown 89 innings in the majors going into last year, and he was a good prospect, but I wouldn't call him like an elite prospect, you know? He was just a good pitching prospect. Comes up, is awesome for 89 innings in 2017, and just got way overrated in my opinion. Going into last year, last year, for the most part, wasn't good, especially early. Was really good at the end of the year in the second half. And I think that's what's kind of driving his price this year. I will say I like him more this year than I did a year ago. I think it's just because I'm a little more comfortable with it now. You know, I've seen a little bit more. I'm willing to admit the fact that he's gotten a little bit unlucky, at least did last year. And, and he improved in the second half, for sure. You know, he looked like he could be an ace. So there's definite uh, positive signs. K-rate's solid. I wonder a little bit with 
Cincy. It's just like, I don't know, sometimes those really bad teams, and I know people are probably like, what do you have against the Reds? Because I mentioned it before, <laughs> but it's like, it's just a bad ballpark to pitch your home games in, too. It's just a launching pad, you know? Yes, it is. But, uh, but yeah, I think there's solid skills here, and I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I, I definitely like it more than I did a year ago. And there was a couple different drafts this year where I was strongly considering taking him right about when he went. I haven't. I didn't get him, but I didn't. Uh, didn't hate it when he went for sure. Yeah, he's a popular pick for a breakout this year. That I've seen people say that this is the guy that's going to turn into a top ten pitcher and. I'm saying I'm seeing that on baseball 365. I'm not, I don't know if I've seen that out of yeah. any of the people in the industry. I'm cheering for him because I'm a Roto Masters two owner. You said he wasn't really a big prospect coming up, and I do remember in Prospect 361, Rich had him as his like number 42 overall prospect two years ago, yeah. and he was saying in that post, "I'm making a statement having him this high," and he was right because. Nobody else had him anywhere near that. So the right. highest he ever was as a prospect really was in the forties. Yeah, and that from what I remember, that was significantly higher than a lot of places had him. Uh one thing I will say as far as he goes, Luis Castillo, I do think that he's one of the guys in this range that we're gonna talk about tonight that if one of them is going to make a huge leap into ace territory, I think he has a chance to do it. Some of these guys just aren't going to do it. I mean, you just know, like, they're just not. And there's a few that we'll talk about that I think could, and he's one of them. I, I do think that he has the ceiling to do it. All right. We'll move on to Charlie Morton at Tampa Bay at 120. He had a stellar couple seasons in Houston in the last two years. And it landed him a two-year, $30 million contract this offseason with the, drum roll, Tampa Bay Rays? That's not quite what I imagined whenever I was thinking about him as a free agent this offseason. He's been pretty awesome in Houston the last two years. The question is, can he carry this over to Tampa? How do you feel about Morton, who is, uh, what is he, 35, 36 years old? Looking at now, he's 35. 35 years old, going to Tampa. This guy is crazy, man. I it's just so funny. Like he has had his two best seasons by far not even close at age 33 and 34. And it's just yeah, it's just funny to me. It feels like he's been around forever. He was never that good. If you go back, you know, he's just was never that good and he's just evolved himself into being a really good pitcher I don't know I, I think that going to Tampa it may not be that big of a deal I, I I view it as a bit of a negative just because whatever you think of the Rays and I know people love them they're not as good as Houston AL East a little bit tougher obviously a year older even though that hasn't mattered the last couple years Probably a guy I'm just not getting in this spot because there's several guys around here. There's a few coming up that I really like. Um, yeah, just not a guy that I'm going to get. But that said, 
he has been really good. And I, man, it's just, it's so crazy to think about the path of his career. It's been so, such a wild ride, really. Yeah. It's almost like he's gotten better the entire way. And it's one thing when you can say that in your 27 or 8, but when you're 35, it, usually there's some kind of decline in there. And he's just been on his way up. Took a long time to get there, but. I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know if you'll remember this or not. This will also show how long he's been around. About eight to ten years ago, he was most famous for, with me and a lot of other people, for having a delivery that looked exactly like another pitcher who was pitching at the time. Do you remember who that was? Um, no, not off the top of my head. I might if you say it, but I don't. It was comical because his delivery looked exactly like Roy Halliday's. If you watched him pitch and they weren't wearing a jersey and you were just watching him from behind, it was the exact same delivery. I'd just really? laugh every time I'd see him on TV. You don't remember this? No, I don't remember this. I want to go back and look at an old Roy Halliday delivery and look at him in Houston and see if it's the same thing. Because it was comical how they were the exact same. And this is when Roy Halliday was an ace for the Phillies throwing that perfect game. And I mean, pretty much yeah. right there at the peak with the Phillies, they had the exact same delivery. It was comical. So you're saying when Morton was with the Phillies too, or no? No, I, Morton, I don't think ever was. Oh, I, he was with the Phillies. Well, yeah, no, I, this, I guess it was only for a few starts, but yeah, I think that was, no, the year, this, that was the year Morton got hurt. Yeah, no, I'm talking like 2010, 2011-ish when he was with the Pirates all the way back then. He was exact, his delivery was the exact same. I'll have to check that out. And personally, I don't feel great about him here either. I think he could go out and have another fine year, but I get a little worried about a pitcher who went to an organization, organization who brought some things out of him that turned him into an elite pitcher, and now he's going out on his own. Will that still all be there as he goes to another organization? And I don't know, and I don't feel great about him here because I don't know. And there's just pitchers around here I think I feel good about also. Yeah, it's a really good point. I hadn't even thought of that. That's a really good point, though, yeah. 31 is Kyle Hendricks. We were just talking about him a few minutes ago. 124 overall. So we're talking fourth pick of the ninth round. And Kyle Hendricks is Mr. Consistent. He's been up for four seasons, and he's had a sub-four ERA in every season. His strikeout rates keep falling, but he keeps getting the job done by walking very few and giving a lot, giving up a lot of ground balls. He feels like one of the best high-floor, low-ceiling arms in the majors to me personally. And going back to Mike Miles Mikolas, I feel I'd much rather wait a couple rounds and get Hendricks right here if I'm going to go for a floor guy just because – I feel like they're the, pretty close to the same pitcher, and I'll just take the guy that I've seen do it for four years in a row. Yeah, uh, Hendricks is consistent, really consistent. Uh, 3.08 career ERA, which is just mind-boggling. I mean, it's it's lower than Zach Granke, Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, David Price, Justin Verlander. Cole Hamels, it's it's lower than all those guys, his career ERA. And it's over, you know, a 
pretty decent sample, 787 innings. So, yeah, he's he's consistently really good. You know what you're getting. You're not going to get a lot of Ks. I guess the argue the argument against him is he's a little hittable, and when he when his um, paint in the corners and stuff isn't quite there, you know, like I always call him modern day Maddox, kind of like a joke. He's not Maddox, obviously, but he's like <laughs> he, it was like Maddox used to pitch for the Cubs, and I've just always like said that about Hendricks. Half kidding, of course, because I know he isn't Maddox, but just because he kind of like pitches in that way. But yeah, when he when he's not able to have the command and control there and he's not missing the bats, he's going to start getting hit. And that's like the negative to it. But he definitely is one of those guys that just knows how to pitch and he's going to be in there and he's durable and all those things, you know? So his walk rates really good every year and yeah, he's consistent. So I don't really have a problem here. He's, been one of those cubs that i've like all i feel like i like him every year and i didn't get in any shares of him in redraft this year i do have him in one dynasty league so but yeah i, I can't ever really fault anybody for taking Hendricks because i just know what he brings to the table and he's he's not likely going to kill you so you don't have a share of him but i know you have a share of the next guy because this is one another guy that i know has been one of your boys over the last few years Robbie Ray at 126, so we're talking the middle of the ninth round. Huge breakout in 2017, and he had quite a letdown last year. I know he's one of your guys. Why don't you share your thoughts on him going into this year? Yep, so uh, definitely love Ray. Tons of Ks, and it's one of those things where I'm just willing to let the ERA and the whip fall where they may because I know I'm getting the strikeouts. I will say last year, I didn't really like him. He was going as an ace, and I was kind of off of him. I sold him in at least one dynasty league, and then I bought him like around the deadline last year. I feel like with this guy, and I've kind of been riding the wave with this guy from jump, like from the beginning when he was coming up with the Tigers and stuff like that. And what has always worked for me with Robbie Ray is when he is down and you think he's out, you want to buy him. And when people start thinking he's an ace, you want to sell him. It's just worked for me. The guy's going to give you elite strikeouts. There's no question about that. Steamer projection is top 15 for sure. I can't remember exactly what it is offhand, but, you know, 12Ks per nine last year. It's just bonkers stuff with the strikeouts. And, you know, you you just – the ERA and whip, it is going to fluctuate a little bit because he does walk guys. And that part can be a little maddening, but his ceiling with the Ks, it's just – it's so high that I'm willing to just accept the rest of it. And know that if you can get him when people are down on him, he can produce a season like 2017 when he was an ace. And then, but then it's like that, it's not going to be consistent. That's the thing. It's not going to be that way all the time. So you kind of have to know when to get in and know when to get out. And I'm in this year. Now that he's back down here, 
32, I'm in. I feel like, you know, he has a, he has some chance to lead the league in strikeouts. And he's at 32 among pitchers. I mean, why wouldn't you want that? I'm all about him right here, for sure. And then once, once he gets back up around 15, I'll be out again. Just kind of the, the way you have to do it with Robbie Ray. That's funny to hear you say this. Because it reminds me exactly of another lefty, and my that was my opinion on a lefty from about 10 years ago that I felt the same way about. I played in shallower leagues at the time, but I felt like Francisco Liriano 10 years ago was the same guy yeah. in terms of high strikeout rate who would be elite one year and would look like an absolute disaster the next year. And I, that was what I always said, buy him when he's cheap. Because he has ace upside, or maybe not ace, but he had really high upside. But don't ever pay for him whenever he's going in the first five, six rounds of, and this was like of a 10, 12 team leagues back then. Because he also has the upside of being a, blowing up your ERA and whip and just being terrible in a year. And it worked for me. I get what you're saying there with Ray. I, I have had that same guy about 10 years ago. Yeah, it's, and I mean, for as bad as he was or whatever you want to call it last year, there was three qualified starters with 12 K's per nine, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, and Justin Verlander. And Robbie Ray was there too. The only reason he, I'm saying the three is because Robbie Ray didn't have the qual the innings to qualify, but those three Cole Scherzer Verlander, they're all three, you know, top eight starting pitchers pretty much universally. We're at 32. And I, I know he's not the pitcher that those guys are, but that's the kind of K potential you're looking at. So even in a year when people didn't think Robbie Ray was good, his ERA was under four and his K rate was insane. And to me, that's like the floor that you're getting. And then the upside is what we saw the year before. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm all about him here. And the next guy is another one I know I've heard you say you like this year, and that's Chris Archer. At 133, after a third consecutive season with an ERA over four, I personally was saying I was out on him. Year after year, I've seen his underlying stats look okay and his final stats be frustrating for owners. I took him last year, and I was bit early last year, and I think I carried that with me all year, not even realizing that he was much better in the second half. And after last season, I was saying I was done taking him. and just didn't want to deal with being disappointed again. But Andrew, you, over the last couple of weeks, as we've been talking about him, you convinced me to get back in on him. So why don't you tell everybody else how you pulled me back in on him? Yeah, well, the first first thing I'll say is I have never been an archer guy, ever. I've always thought he goes too high. You know, he's always kind of gone as like a ace, low-end ace, high-end number two, right there around like the 15th starter off the board, you know, roughly, you know, somewhere in there. And yeah, I've just, I've always thought it was too high. I've always thought he was overrated, pitched in the AL East. I just didn't really want anything to do with him. Last year, comes over to the NL, second half, K, K per nine over 10, 10.6. Ex-FIP of 3.31, FIP was good, K percentage, you know, all that was up. Everything, it looked pretty good. 
And the the biggest thing, though, with Archer and why I'm in this year is where he's at. He's the 33rd pitcher off the board. This is another guy like Ray who's projected to be in the top 15 in strikeouts, you know, just just off of steamer projections. I actually have Ray and Archer as my two and three in one redraft league this year. And yeah, I just, I like the price. I, I just think it's a good spot to get him. And I also like the move to the NL. I think that's good for him. I will admit that if I'm wrong on him this year, because there's people that have owned him in the past that are probably like cringing right now. I know that I've heard people say like, Chris Archer just brings me so much pain and all this stuff, <laughs> like just owning him. And I, I, I'll admit I've never experienced it because I've just never been in on him. But I'm in this year. If he doesn't do it and he lets me down, I'll probably never be in again. But I can't help it at this price. It's, it's such a good price. He is projected to finish 14th in strikeouts on Steamer. There's 15 guys projected for 200 Ks this season. Chris Archer is one of them. You know, you just hope that the ERA and whip fall in, in a, into a good spot. But in the NL, I just I just think it's a way better situation than it was in pitching against the Yankees in Boston and all the you know in all those hitters parks and stuff. I just think it's better. The last thing in our discussions that sold me on him was last year. Again, he had a disappointing year, a four point three RA. And it was real rough early in the year. He finished strong. But I asked you a question in terms of where did he finish finish amongst pitchers last season? And you went and looked it up, and I think he was something like 33, 35. And he's the 33rd pitcher off the board right now. If he did what he did last year, and he just repeated that, there's a good chance you're going even value here. And the guy has the potential for so much more. And now he's in the NL Central. There's more, which you've got to think is is a better situation than pitching in the AL East. To where he has the upside still to be a top 15 pitcher. And to buy, be buying him at his floor price with the upside of being more, that was the thing that sold me in on him. And... I want to go to Jared LaRiviere, who asked on Facebook, what's Archer's ceiling and floor for 2019? And I want to answer that. And I personally see his ceiling is kind of what he was did in 2015. K per nine that's over 10 with a low three ERA and, you know, 12 to 15 wins possible in Pittsburgh, which if he does that, he's a top 15 pitcher. His floor? <laughs> I mean, it would probably still have really high K rate. This is with health, I'll think I should add, add also add. But he could have a really great K rate and still have a terrible ERA and whip of a four and a half five if things go wrong. And he just continues giving up hard contact because he throws so hard and gives up a bunch of homers. And that floor is definitely there, but the ceiling feels really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think he can get 200 plus Ks easy. I think that his ceiling is probably like 220, 230, maybe even more. 
This guy has in the last four years for all the hate that is out there on Chris Archer. And there's a lot of it. And I've been involved in it in the past few years. But for all the hate that this guy gets, 2015 to 2018, the last four seasons, he is fourth in the major leagues in Ks. Scherzer, one. Sale, two. Kluber, three. And Verlander, five, right behind him. And Verlander's in more innings, too. So Verlander has fewer Ks in more innings than Archer over the last four seasons. I'm not saying Archer's a better pitcher than Verlander, but he's the 33rd pitcher off the board. Verlander's fourth. I just don't see how you can't buy this K upside here. If the whip is horrible, then, you know, that, that's what's going to drive you nuts. I think it's going to be the whip that'll kill him if there's anything that kills him. Because, you know, wins are fluky, obviously, and I don't think his ERA will be too bad. But the whip is the one that I'm kind of like, yeah, that could be, you know, you just you just hope it's not too bad. But the Ks should make up for it. All right, let's move on to Masahiro Tanaka with the Yankees at 137. So now we're into the 10th round. He's the 34th starting pitcher off the board. The guy's had a partially torn UCL since 2014. Yet he keeps going out there and delivering in 25, 30 starts every year. Year after year, he's getting the job done. Yeah, Tanaka, uh, he's fine. I I feel like he's going a little later than he has in the past. I don't know. I just don't really know if I trust him completely. Like the health, it's, it's like when is it just completely bottom out? And not to mention, there's that, there's that park in the, AL East and it's just I know one of the teams in the AL East is obviously the team that he's on so he clearly doesn't have to face them but I don't know I wouldn't say I love him here he's fine I I don't think it's bad or anything I probably wouldn't have him a whole lot lower than he is but I don't really think I'm taking him here I'm definitely taking Ray and Archer ahead of him like they've they're listed and there's probably a couple guys below him that I'm taking ahead of him yeah, he's just kind of whatever to me in this range. I don't love him or hate him, I guess you could say. He makes me a little nervous, I will admit that. I just feel like one of these years, the health is going to completely implode. And I feel like it's maybe just me being a little more cautious with that aspect of it. And and I and his results don't blow me away either. It's not like I'm investing in a guy that I feel like is capable of leading the league in a certain category or really, really dominating when he is healthy. I, I don't really see him as that either. And if it was, I might be a little more enticed. Yeah, he's just a solid pitcher to me that has health issues, you know. And to me at 34, he's probably going at the right spot. Well, let's see if you feel the same way about the next guy who's now going to be a teammate of his, J.A. Happ. Four seasons of a sub-four ERA while pitching in the AL East. Now he moves to New York, and even though he's pitching in a Little League park now, the fact that he's been delivering results in that division for the last four years has me encouraged that he should continue pitching well. The last few years, Hap has been underrated, for sure. I mean, the big obvious question is, you know, he's he's getting up there in age, so you just wonder how long he's going to keep it together. But yeah, he's definitely been underrated these past few years. 
So he, he could be a value here. I, I wouldn't another guy. I wouldn't say I love him, but he could be a value. What do, what do you think about him? I like him in terms of if he's holding together and he's able to get 30 starts, this is, I think he's got a good shot of approaching 20 wins. I'm not saying he's going to get it, but he pitches for a real good team. K rate was incredible last year at 9.7 per nine, which is a big jump up from his previous few seasons, but doesn't walk many guys. And he's been doing this while pitching in Toronto, which is another incredible hitters park to where, yeah, I like him here. Yeah, he's fine. I feel like he's in about the right spot. Okay, I'm going to try picking up the pace here a little bit. We're at 36 with Cole Hamels. He's going at 149, so we're talking right there at the 10-11 wheel. It felt like a repeat of the 2017 season for Hamels in the first half when he was with Texas. Had a 4-3 ERA. But in the second half, he flourished after being traded to the Cubs, thrown for an ERA under three in the last few months. Andrew, you are a Cubs fan, so I know you are watching him more than me. Tell me how you feel about Hamels that right now going here at the 10-11 wheel. Man, he really put it together when he came over to the Cubs. I, I remember I bought him I, I, in, uh, in Rotomasters 2 right about the time that trade happened because I remember thinking, man, he's been so bad. Like, he had not been good. Even going back, like, the last couple of seasons, really, he hadn't been good with uh with texas and i was like yeah i think this is a good time to buy i think he's going to be good for the cubs down the stretch and that's pretty much exactly what happened as far as going into this year i do have i still have that share i've got a share of him in redraft too i think i did get him in one i don't know i I feel okay about it i don't feel great about it i do trust his track record on some level but he is another older pitcher that you know, it could show some chinks in the armor. He was he, as good as he was on the Cubs last year. It was a little bit of luck induced. I mean, there was there was a little bit of luck there. His xFIP was three fifty nine, so that's a little more normal than the two thirty six ERA. So I could see him coming back to the pack a little bit from what he was with the Cubs, but I still think that he's going to be better than he was like those the last like season and a half with. Texas he just he just wasn't very good he was actually getting to the point where he was pretty bad for about a year all of 2017 and the first part of 2018 like that's about it was about a 270 innings or so sample where he was pretty brutal and he turned it around I I think he'll be all right this year I didn't realize in 2017 he only had a hundred and what, what did I just see? 105 strikeouts in 148 innings. Yeah. Woof. Yeah, he was terrible. He got it real close last year back to almost a strikeout per inning by the end of the year, which that's pretty good. I kind of think about him kind of like I do with Tanaka, Hap, a couple of those guys who probably in the high three ZRA, low four, something like that. Solid Solid, unspectacular, about right, right here. I think this is yeah. about the right spot. Shane Bieber's next at 130, or at number 37 amongst pitchers at 150. A year ago, Bieber was known as a prospect who didn't walk anybody, but his strikeout rates didn't seem like they'd help him to be a really good fantasy option. Last year, in the minor leagues, his strikeouts saw an uptick. He made it through AA and, and AAA and was in the bigs by the end of the May. 
and he still was striking out over a batter and inning the rest of the way. He looks like he may have had some bad luck last year with a 4-5 ERA that had an XFIP a full run lower at 3-3. I'm liking this price here, and this feels like a good buying spot right here. Man, how how lucky are the Cleveland Indians? Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, Mike Clevenger, and oh no, your fifth starter is Shane Bieber. Like, <laughs> that is just insane. Like, oh my God. I mean, that's that's like a fantasy. That's like a 10-team league fantasy stat. I mean, that's <laughs> so nuts, but... Yeah, I, I like Bieber. Last year when Bieber was coming up, I was uh, I got in on him a little bit early in a couple leagues where he wasn't owned, and I was pretty pumped. And yeah, now everybody's pumped. He, he's in a this spot. I think is about right. It's fine. I mean, it doesn't thrill me. I'm I'm just okay with it. I don't I don't know where the uh, how high his K ceiling is. So, and it kind of makes me question a little bit, like the. He doesn't have a real long track record, you know, but I will say this, his, his control and command is really good. Like he doesn't walk anybody. And, you know, if you have that to hang on to that, that's something that's, that's a good thing to have. So I, uh, I could see, I could see myself being interested at this price for sure. Like I said earlier, there's this whole range of pitchers. I think it's like kind of just personal, personal preference, bump guys up or down and, I think I'd probably, if I was doing my full list, I'd probably have him a couple slots higher than this. Not a lot, but he'd be right about in this range. I think he's fine here. I agree with you about the 25 through 40 as I'm looking at the list, and probably as I keep going down further, it's just to pick your guys. It really doesn't matter. Yep. All right, we're going to move to another Cub. You Darvish at 38 among starters at 150, pretty much right at the same spot Bieber's going. Last year was a rough one. He only had eight starts due to injury. It seems like he's healthy again going into spring. I think I heard a report saying that he was even hitting 96 on the radar gun in one of his preseason starts. All right, Andrew, being the Cubs fan, how do you feel about him? Well, it's a pretty good price compared to what it's always been in the past with Darvish. I got him in at least one league, maybe two of my early drafts. K rates have always been really good, obviously. It's pretty much just going to come down to the health, I feel like. And I will admit, it's a really, really big question mark. I I don't know. You know, it's like one of those things with, with that aspect of it, with him, it is high risk because I don't know. You know, he, he threw 40 innings last year. 46 if you count a few innings he threw in the minors and that's rough I mean that's just bad how he'll come back from that it's kind of hard to say the nice thing about it though is we've seen him pitch like an ace not that long ago so could he get back to that I I don't think he really will get back to that but he doesn't have to get back to that to return value as the 38th pitcher off the board so I uh, I, think, I think he's fine here. Yeah, I, I don't really have an issue. I do think it's a high-risk investment with high with maybe a high – I guess you would say high ceiling, but I don't know how high the ceiling really is because 
I don't really know how many innings I trust him to throw, but per inning, I think that the ceiling is high. Yeah. When he pitches, I, I think he could be awesome. It's just how many innings does he throw? That's kind of looking at him. That's what I was going to say is I think it's all innings with him. If he can get you 150 innings, you're going to be thrilled with what you paid to get him. If he gets you 60 innings, it's a bad pick that didn't work out anyways. Because he is still performing at a really high K rate year after year. The problem is he's only thrown more than 140 innings once since 2013. 2013, he threw 209, and he's only thrown 145 innings once since then. Yeah, yeah. Number 39, this one I know we're going to spend some time on, Nick Pavetta at 151. Despite an 8-10 and 10 record with a 4.77 ERA last year, Andrew, you've been talking Pavetta up since late last year. Tell everyone why. Oh man, this is this is one of my guys for sure. This is probably, well, not probably, actually it's definitely my favorite value among pitchers this year, kind of like I mentioned with Hampson when we were on the hitters. I love this dude. I I look at everything and I just don't really see any way that he doesn't return value here as the 39th starting pitcher off the board. Just to run down a few things, his ERA was 477. Obviously, that's not good. His XFIP was 342. That's awesome. 14th in the league, 12th in the league in Ks per nine, 14th in the league in ground ball percentage. He had the fifth lowest strand rate, which is extremely, you know, that's just it's bad luck. I mean, strand rate is typically bad luck. Highest BABIP in the league. 326 led the majors and typically when there's BABIP issues you look at hard contact because obviously if ball's being hit harder BABIP's going to be higher so if everybody's hitting the ball hard off of them then that's a reason for it well they're not I mean his hard contact is fine 12% swinging strike rate same as Corey Kluber and Clevenger ahead of Granke and Tyon. It's top 15 in zone contact percentage, lowest. So he's good there. Sixth highest home run fly ball rate. Another luck factor. You know, it's just this guy just was totally crushed by bad luck. I mean, it, it happens from time to time when you look at somebody and you take everything in and it's just like, this and this and this and this all work together to give this guy like the worst season he could pretty much possibly have. I, I don't see there being any way that he is, you know, unless he has a decline in skills this year. But as far as just going off of what he did last year, his K minus walk percentage was 19.7 tied for 13th in the league. Just to give you kind of an idea, the pitchers that had Nick Pavetta's K rate or higher, and his walk rate or lower, this is the list. Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom, Patrick Corbin, Carlos Carrasco, Luis Severino, and Herman Marquez. That's the guys that combined his K rate and his walk rate. 
So call me crazy. I think he has ace upside. I, I really do. And I, I think it's just crazy. But I, I do get kind of why he's going here. Because if you just look at the surface stats and all that, they don't look good. You know, his ERA was not good. His whip was not good. Forget what his whip was. Yeah, 130. Yeah, not good. So if you just take, you know, those things in, and he's obviously like a younger pitcher that doesn't have a long track record of success in the major leagues, so nobody's buy, you know, buying him on that either. But I see a lot of good things here, man. It reminds me a lot of – I actually did this uh, comparison – I, I did a thing because, you know, you can line up on fan graphs. You can line up their seasons. Like, you can line up so-and-so's 2013 with so-and-so's 2016 or whatever. And I put Trevor Bowers' 2017 next to Nick Pavetta's 2018. And I tell you, they are right in line. Like, it just the, you know the K rate and the X fit, you know, every, every stat pretty much across the board. And I expect him to have a breakthrough similar to that. He doesn't have quite the pedigree that Bauer did even before Bauer broke out. I will admit that. And, you know, do I expect him to be the ninth pitcher off the board next year? Like Bauer is this year? No, but I definitely think he's going to be going higher than this. 39 is insane to me. I would have him, ahead of a lot of the guys we've talked about tonight, for sure. Well, let's play a game with that. Let's see how much higher you'll go. I'm just going to start moving up a few slots, and we'll see how far before you're starting to really think about it and go the other way. Sure. Uh, we'll just go up two to Shane Bieber. Yep, I'd take, I'd take Pavetta. J.A. Happ or Tanaka? Yep, Pavetta. All right, moving up. Your boy, Robbie Ray. Yeah, so I, I've thought about this actually in drafts because I have had this decision, you know, because I target these guys. I'll just lump Archer in with them too. I would go Ray, Pavetta, Archer in that order. And Ray and Archer, you know, are ahead of Pavetta in – like, Archer's kind of my uh, fallback when I don't get Pavetta. I got sniped on Pavetta in one draft I know of, and I got Archer. But, yeah, I think those guys are close. And But what I will say is, there's guys even above them in, in this list. I know you're higher on Ray and Archer than a lot of these guys, so I'm going to keep moving up here and see how high, how high you'll go in terms of... Because I know you'd take Ray and Archer higher than they're going. So, let's see. Yeah. Charlie Morton? Yeah, I would take all three of them over Morton. Ooh, okay. Luis Castillo. I think that's the range. Yeah, I think that's the range. I will say I would have Wheeler and Nicholas lower than Castillo. And I, yeah, I, I don't think, I think I'm taking the strikeouts with, yeah, I'm taking. Yeah, it's close. It's right in that range. Yeah, it's right in that range. Somewhere in like the 30-ish range is where I think I would have Pavetta. That's a low-end number two. And he's at 39. Yeah, 
Yeah, somewhere in that range. But like I said, I, I feel like when you look at everything that I kind of went through, I think he can be a top 20 pitcher for sure. I, I, won't, be, I won't be surprised if he's top 15, but you know, we'll kind of see how it goes. It's the 39th pitcher off the board. I just don't think there's any risk to find out. It just, it doesn't scare me at all. I, I feel like it's just too much. People are looking too much at the surface stats and they look ugly. And I'm kind of glad that they look ugly because it's allowing his price to get to this point. And that's you know, that a just, buying opportunity. Right. Yeah. It just gives you, you know, cause if his ERA was more in line with his XFIP and his FIP, he wouldn't be going here. He wouldn't be going here. It's just bottom line. All right. Well, you've heard it, everybody. This is a great buying opportunity, according to Andrew, and I yeah, can, I get behind it. It's good K's, too. Like I said, with Ray, Archer, Pavetta, I just I, – I know I'm getting strikeouts. Like, I just – they're all in the NL. I'm getting strikeouts. Yeah. That's why I have them higher than, than a lot of these guys. And this next guy, number 40, I think would be going significantly higher, too, if he could actually stay healthy. And that's Eduardo Rodriguez with the Boston Red Sox at 156. Middle of the 11th round here. The last two years, he's had over a strikeout per inning in each of the years. Walk rate in the low threes. It, because he pitches in Boston, his ERA has been up there at 3.8 this last year and 4.2 the year before, but... I think if this guy would thrown 30-plus starts each of the last two years, he'd be going significantly higher because the skills show this is a real good pitcher with some nice potential. Yeah, yeah, I like Erod, too. I do. I, I've always kind of thought with Erod, I've liked him coming up. Um, he was getting compared to Johan Santana a little bit. That's probably never going to happen. But I feel like with Erod, there's another level coming. I said that last year. I still believe it. I think that there's going to be a year, like in a peak season for him in the next, I'd say, two to three years. I don't know which one it's going to be, but I think in a peak season, he can be an ace. I think he can be there. I mean, he's 25. He's still young. Actually, he's about to be 26, but, you know, still on the early side of his prime. K rate ticked up. I think he's really good. He, he mostly needs to get like the little health issues that he's had here and there. He just seems like he's always beat up. And I feel like if he ever gets to just gets over that hurdle and where he's not beat up and he can just go full on Erod for a season, I think he could be awesome. I believe in him. I like him here too. I do. I would definitely take yeah. that as the 40th pitcher off the board. Yeah. I think if he could throw 30-plus starts in a season, and I'm not saying A equals B here, but I think it's possible he could win an AL Cy Young on that team. It's yeah. doable. I mean, Rick Porcello did it. Who's to say that Eduardo Rodriguez couldn't go out there, throw 30 starts, win 18 games with a low 3 RA, and with, if he keep those K ratios up, that's all doable. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I've kind of said that before, too. It, he needs to take just one more step, and he needs to stay healthy. I mean, his last four seasons, he's pitched 121, 107, 137, and 129 innings in the majors. He, he just can't get the innings up. You know, he just he needs to stay healthy. 
is the main thing. I, I hope that he doesn't go through his prime banged up like this every year. I mean, you. I always think with these guys like this, one of these years, they're just going to stay healthy the whole year, and it's going to be awesome. And I, I feel that coming with Erod in the next, like I said, two to three years. I don't, I don't know exactly when it's going to be, and I, I can't promise it'll be this year. But at 40th among starting pitchers, I'm willing to take that shot that it is this year, and you know maybe that this is the season that he does all that. And if not, you're still getting a good pitcher when he's out there. I mean, he's he's fine and he's got a good K rate. Yep, and like we said before. You're not just getting those innings, and then when he gets hurt, you don't have anything else to throw in there. It's a little harder with pitchers because there's so many that are gone. Sometimes it's hard to find the guys to fill out a rotation. So I don't feel quite the same way I do with hitters in terms of when they're hurt. But, yeah, I like his draft position here because the upside is definitely there. Yeah, my last uh, my last thing on Erod, his, his K percentage last year, just to give you an idea, is – was the exact same as Corey Kluber. So my 20, 26.4%. It's really good. I think Kluber was like 15th in baseball. Erod didn't quite qualify with the innings, but that's the kind of potential that he has. If, if he can just put it all together for a full season and, and stay out there, I definitely like him. I'm in on Erod for sure. That's incredible. Okay, percentage the same as Kluber. Wow. All right. Well, I think we're going to cut it off here at 40. We've had some really good conversations, and I think we'll pick back up next episode at 41 and try to get through the rest of the pitchers. We'll breeze through them a little faster. But that was some good stuff, Andrew. Man, there's some really interesting players to talk about from this stretch right here. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh... – a lot of guys that were interesting tonight. I know that uh, we mentioned going to 45. Didn't quite get there. We'll just do 41 on, like Justin said, next show. So, And we'll probably finish them out. We'll go, like, yeah, we'll go a little bit quicker. Just kind of roll through them. So. Yeah, I don't see the names that I knew were going to be big conversation pieces going forward like we did with these. I mean, Pavetta, Erod. Uh, let's see, Archer, Robbie Ray. I knew those guys were going to take some time. Luis Castillo, all very interesting names. And while there's some interesting names going down the list, it's just not quite like these guys. It's these guys have the potential to be league winners that are going in the as starting pitcher threes. It's just trying to figure out which one's the right one. <laughs> one other thing I want to mention, you guys need to Google. It's an article on Rotoballer. And it's titled Nick Pavetta, Ace in the Making. Google that article and read it. There's a chart in there with Pavetta next to Fulte and Snell. And like line drive and hard contact and BABIP. Just read that article. You'll understand a little bit more even why I'm interested. It's it's really good. There you go. Okay. Well. I think we're going to try to get back here in a couple days and finish out the pitcher podcast, have that back out in the next couple days. Andrew, do you have anything you want to talk about plug before we get out of here? Nope. That's it. Uh, trying to hold back from doing one last draft before the season. I, I think I'm going <laughs> to, 
I, I think I'm going to do one more. Are you really? I think so, but I, I'm not 100% yet. I think I might do one more NFBC league, but I'm still debating it. Yeah. If, wow. If I do it, if I do it, it's going to be like right, like probably the day before, you know, I'll do it right at the end and it'll be a fast draft and I'm not doing any more slow ones. So, but yeah, pretty much done. So just, uh, yeah. what are we like nine days away? Something like that. Yep. Nine days well, away from the Japan from, games, yeah. but the actual opening days two a little about two and a half weeks, which yeah. is funny. You and I we're finishing up and a lot of people are just now starting to, do their draft prep for the drafts in about yeah. a week or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like we get started so early. It's all it almost feels like it's starting, you know, any any day now, which in a way it is, but you know, like you said some people they don't even start till now. I just got to the point we're starting drafts in January, <laughs> you know, it just goes the whole time. So now that we're this close it feels like it's almost tomorrow. It's funny. I remember doing a draft. I think the first time I did a draft early, like it was 2005. I did a draft the first week of March and I hated it. I'm like, I never want to do a draft this early again. It's way too far from the season. Now yeah. here I am finishing my last drafts by the end of February. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like things we, change. You know, we do so much research and reading, you know, and, listening to podcasts and over the course of the off season that I don't know, it's, I feel like when we're in maybe like mid to late January, early February, it's, that's like prime time anymore as far as draft goes, as opposed to, you know, right before the season, but it's awkward too, because you have injuries and stuff that happen and then it just sucks. But yeah. And I don't mind doing the early ones. I think I'm going to try to change one to where I at least get one slow draft starting around the beginning of March, just so I can at least make it through the full spring training while still having drafts going on. Cause I hate that right now I'm finishing up my drafts by the end of February and having to go all of March without anything going on. I'm going to try to change that next year, but I do like having some early drafts. It makes the whole yeah. prep for the season a little more fun as we're super bowl ends and you're really getting the itch just to get some baseball and, it may, it's it's pretty fun. Yeah, it feels it feels like it cuts down on how long the off season is too. It just we're all like starving for it, you know, and I don't know. I feel like when you do those early ones it it just makes it feel like the off season isn't so long. When it's November and December and you're just like, God, you just want it to get here and it can be forever if you wait until mid March to do your first draft, so I agree. All right. Well, we'll try to get back here in a couple of days. And until then, take care, everybody. Yeah, take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. Baseball 365.